when I walked in the door this morning with this beautiful rose, he's looking at me and says, Greg last week walks in with 400 pounds of weights and does a very manly message, and you walk in with a flower. I said, the Lord just wants us to contrast two different things today, so... Last week when Greg spoke on uh, and did his illustration, he actually set a world's record for the largest deadlift in a uh, Christian auditorium. Uh, it was over 400 pounds that him and his uh, friend lifted last week, so uh, I didn't want to recognize it. I Googled it, and in fact, there actually wasn't anything on Google about it, so I'm just assuming it's a world's record. So you're all part of history here in the Guinness Book of World's Record at CCC. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. This I command you, that you love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For who 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 loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an excuse for an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. Therefore, I, prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and a bond of peace. Now may our God and Father himself And Jesus, our Lord, direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another, for all people, just as we also do for you. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. But we we urge you, brethren, to excel more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend your own business and the work of your hands, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. We ought always to give thanks to God, you, brethren, as it only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. The love of each one, uh, and let us consider on how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Sorry, I lost my place. I'm reading so many of these. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently one another, love one another from the heart. You have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living, enduring word of God. For this message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he commanded, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. I'll give you one guess. What's the topic of what we're going to talk about today? Love what? One another. Okay, great. It is finished. I want to acknowledge, uh, before I pray, um, people have influenced me uh, greatly, in particular in parts of this message. Uh, It's too hard to quote every single thing that they've influenced me with, but uh, men such as Walt Henriksen, uh, Frank Viola, Tim Keller, Rick Lehman, uh, and many other brothers have influenced me, uh, both in this community and outside this community, through their writings, through their sermons, um, and through my interactions with them. So I just want to acknowledge that there's not an original thought that comes from me, anything that would come from the Holy Spirit through those men that I would then transfer to you. I just want to acknowledge that up front. Father, I ask for your time, uh, that your uh, Spirit would be speaking through uh, my lips today, that your Holy Spirit would be the only one speaking through, that all the thoughts, all the words of my own heart would be eliminated only through your Spirit, would a word be heard. I ask for your blessing on this time and that your outpouring of your Holy Spirit will bring revelation and reckoning of truth. In Jesus' name. So obviously loving one another is the big theme. But the questions I want to try to go after today is, why is there a command to love one another? How does God define love? What are the barriers that we have to loving one another in the body of Christ? And I just want to acknowledge that what we're talking about here is loving one another within the body of Christ as the primary focus. And then what does loving one another look like? And what does not loving one another look like? And ultimately, to understand that our identity and our brokenness and humility is what leads us to the place where we can abide and through abiding, love one another. Now, definition of love. When I ask guys, uh, I mainly work with men, um, and when we talk about the word love, I'll say, what is, what is love? And in the background, they hear that Saturday Night Live music, what is love? And that's all they think about. And then they start thinking about, what is love? And then they try to answer. And usually, it, there's an emotional component to it. There is something they express about their parents' love for them, or someone, that, if they have children, their love for their child. But actually, trying to define it is very difficult. And so over the years, I've kind of written down what these men have said, and as we've gone in and searched the scriptures to say, okay, this seems to be what the Lord means when he uses the word love. So love is a choice, an action, an act of the will. Now, most people really get put off by that when you first bring it up, because they don't quite necessarily understand what we mean by that. But if you actually read through the scriptures, and you read through when Jesus and Paul use the word love, and Peter and and the other writers of the New Testament, it always seems to be indicating an action that is required of us to love one another. That's why it's a command to love one another. Command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love costs something. Love is putting the needs of someone else before my own, which in itself is a sacrifice or a cost. Love is not easy. 
That's why it's an action. Love is often not appreciated or accepted. Jesus in John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we cannot escape the connection between love, abiding, and obedience. And I'm going to talk in a minute about how that can get really convoluted and we can turn obedience into some form of a, a legalistic understanding of what obedience means. The scriptures also say love covers a multitude of sins. In 1 Corinthians 13, there's a description of love. It's not necessarily a definition of love, it's a description. Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. Love is an action that demonstrates our abiding in the vine. It reflects our ultimate truth of what we really believe. Now, since Robin made fun of this illustration, I am going to use it now. There's two different types of love that we see in the world. One love is a love that is one out of duty, uh, one that um, we kind of manufacture, uh, one that isn't necessarily um, from the Lord, from the abiding in the Spirit. So there's lots of natural love in the world that actually looks very similar to a biblical love. But that love is like a cut rose. It looks the same. It smells the same. It has a lot of the same attributes. In fact, if you didn't see at the bottom, you wouldn't know the difference. When we're, li- when we're trying to love people other than through the Spirit of God, it's like a cut rose. It actually has no life. It's actually dead. It has no value in eternity. I'm going to come back to this because this is something that has, I guess, haunted me for years as I've thought about it. One of the other observations about love is that knowledge is the enemy of it. What I mean by that is the world's definition of love actually would be more leaning towards eros in the Greek, which would be more of a worldly love. And that worldly love, for example, a young man sees this beautiful woman. Oh, he falls in love with her at the first moment. But over time, as he gets to know that person, things begin to change. Now, it may take six months, it may take a year, it may take ten years, but eventually Eros goes away because knowledge is the enemy of Eros. So worldly love is cleaned out and is ruined by knowledge because you realize that person has bad breath, maybe B.O., maybe they got issues in their personality that you don't like, maybe they dress a funny way, maybe they don't clip their nose hairs, Whatever it is that bugs you about that person, eventually Eros is gone. That only leaves the opportunity for real love that bides from the Spirit to love somebody. That's why Jesus continually goes back to this. So just keep that in mind when we think about relationships with others. I was talking with men before the men's retreat. There was four of us that went up to the Great Wall, and we were hanging out and talking, having a great time. And in the middle of the, someone was describing one of their talks, and I said, you know what? And I started talking about this principle that, that the more we get to know each other, the harder it is to love one another. So I said to one of my friends, Brad, I don't know if he's here today, but we love each other. We got this bromance. He actually lets me hug him now. 
which is not something he was used to. And, but we actually love each other. But I said to him, I said, you know what? If we spent more time together, our ability to love one another would be very difficult. Because eventually I would start doing things that bug you. And eventually you would start doing things that bug me in the flesh. Only if our relationship is rooted in Jesus Christ are going to be able to endure one another. As these passages that we just read talk about. Working in deference to one another. Putting that person's needs before my own. That's where love really begins to happen. And the beauty of CCC, there's so many great relationships. I've got people all over the world now that, have, that are friends that I love. But in many cases, we actually didn't get to spend enough time together to actually ever come up against the real need for real love, which is enduring with one another when we disagree, when we've hurt each other, when there's been pain that's been caused. So one of the dynamics of CCC is that you actually can have these incredible relationships, but if you're going to go below level two down to level three and four, this is where real love, abiding in the vine, begins to show forth. Now, why is there a command to love one another? Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So he's saying basically the witness to the world is how you love one another in the body of Christ. Whether that be the expression of Capital Community Church, whether it be your home group, whether it be a small organic church here in Beijing, an underground church, whatever it is. The people see that. That is the testimony. Do you love one another when times are difficult? Not just when things are bad, but when things are easy. When you just have a disagreement about the music. Or you have a disagreement about a certain teaching or doctrine. Do you love one another or do you fight? And this is where the people outside of the body of Christ see our testimony. It's how we love one another. This is why Jesus emphasized it. It's what creates the aroma of Christ. It's what people are drawn to when they come in. To wherever there's brothers and sisters meeting together and people are drawn to it, it's because the love of Christ is present. This is how we're encouraged and edified. Living the Christian life apart from each other is impossible. He died for the church, the organism of the church, not for me as an individual only. He died for the body, his bride. Therefore, he wants us in community together, so we cannot be alone. So he says, love one another. Give away yourselves to each other. He says, this is how he's glorified, how we love one another. This brings glory to God. It's a demonstration of his preeminence in our lives. If I love John and John loves me, we're demonstrating that he is our king, not I'm my own king, or some man-made king. And ultimately, this is how he abides in us and us in him in the passage that just said this. If we love one another, he will abide in us and us in him. Now, I'm going to talk at the end what this looks like in this community and what I've observed and some of the things in my life. But I'd like to talk about three blocks that there are to the, to the um, loving one another. The first block, legalism. The second block, a new word you may not have heard of, libertinism. I don't even know if it's a real word, but it's a word that's been used. Because there's three Gospels that are talked about in the New Testament. The Gospel of Legalism, the Gospel of Libertinism, and then the Gospel of Lordship and Liberty. Now, the Gospel of Lordship and Liberty is the right one we're talking about. The first two are ones that we see as an expression in many bodies throughout the world. Now, I'm going to define legalism quickly. Someone define legalism as the idea that good works earn salvation. But traditionally in the church, we define legalism 
as when people believe grace saves us, but then we are sanctified by our good works, our own effort, as opposed to the Spirit of God. So legalism is putting in place all these rules and regulations to sanctify me, to make me acceptable to God and to maintain my acceptance with him. This is the root of all the different extra-biblical commands that we see in the church today. This is the root of much of the splits within the body of Christ today. This is the root of much bitterness, dissension, and unreconciled situations in the body of Christ. Another uh, mentor of mine said legalism is making law where law does not exist. So if the, law, if the Lord doesn't prohibit something, we shouldn't make a law to prohibit it. Now, we may in love to one another not do it. For example, if someone has a beer, there's no necessary restriction from that in the New Testament, but wisdom may say not to. Or if I'm in the presence of somebody that struggles with alcohol, I would choose not to drink alcohol in front of them out of love for one another. But if I make it a rule and I add a legalistic rule to it, then I've created an extra-biblical law that would be classified as legalism. Now, as Philip Yancey says, he says, Christians get very angry toward other Christians who sin differently than them. All right, so if you find yourself getting angry at other Christians, there's a chance you have a piece of legalist in you. If you find yourself judging people, if you find yourself sitting right now judging the way I'm talking, the way I'm looking, the way I'm saying anything here, any of the words I've already said, you're saying, oh, I don't know about that one doesn't mean you don't judge by the truth of the scriptures, but I'm talking about non-biblical judgment. I'm talking about judging people from your own preferences. Comparing yourself to one another. These are signs, potentially, that you're a legalist. If you're a gossip, you find yourself meddling in other people's business. That's a tendency of many legalists, because they want to know who's doing it the way, I should be, the way they should be doing it. We need to get them to conform. I already mentioned you're creating law where law doesn't exist. You find yourself grading your own Christian walk against others. So the comparison is one of the greatest ways we do to justify our lives is we compare ourselves to people that are below us to make ourselves feel better. And then we put these people above us on a pedestal, which is inappropriate as well. We're self-righteous and we're blind to it. Now, some people are self-righteous and they admit it and they, you know, repent of it. But some people are self-righteous and they don't even know it. Has anyone run into a self-righteous person? I did this morning. I looked in the mirror. We've all experienced it. 100% of us have experienced self-righteousness in our own heart and in the people around us. Now, a final thing as a legalist, what you have a tendency to do is you try to count, control, create, or take credit for God's work. You try to count, control, create, or take credit for God's work as a justification of your sanctification to show that you're a child of God. This is epidemic in the body of Christ. And Jesus says, no, I want you to have freedom. Paul says, I want you to have freedom from that. You cannot count, control, create, or take credit for my work. It is a work of me alone through the Holy Spirit as I abide in you and you bear much fruit. Now, libertinism is a response to legalism. The libertine is basically someone that says, hey man, the grace of God has got me covered. So I can basically just keep going on with my lifestyle and the Lord's forgiven me. So he takes it to the other end of the extreme 
that grace covers me. I have, it, it doesn't matter what I do anymore. They, abuse, they, they violate Romans 6, 1 and 2. Now, they do this because they're responding, in many cases, to the legalist. In fact, the libertine will judge nothing except for the legalist. For the legalist for being a legalist. So it's, it's craziness. This is what, what's happening. Again, all of us are guilty, and all of us experience some scale of this in our life. We oftentimes, as a libertine, won't understand how our abuse of grace hurts others and draws others down. We think we take a wrong definition of liberty and abuse it. Grace does not eliminate consequences. Grace does not eliminate consequences. So we got two things we're fighting. Depravity of self-righteousness and the depravity of self-indulgence. Legalism and libertinism and the lordship and liberty of Christ is the antidote. Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. That's the antidote to legalism and libertinism. He says, what does deny myself look like? It means denying self-ambition, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, self-justification, selfishness for resources, and self-absorption. And in the body of Christ, we are so self-absorbed at times. Almost every, so many of the books that we read are about me, 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 how can I get better? As opposed to the songs that we're singing today are all glorifying the Lord. Moving our eyes, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfect of our faith. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, talks about Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on the things of God, not on the things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. He says, look up to God. Set your mind on the things of God. This is where liberty comes from. Denying myself. There is no work that we do in the sanctification process with the exception of denying myself. As I deny myself and the Lord has lordship over my life, from that flows the abiding. From that flows the gifts of the Spirit. From that flows the transformation of my mind. That does not mean I don't pray and I don't fast and I don't do certain things. But those will be a result of the denying of myself. Otherwise, I turn it into a legalistic practice. I used to spend two hours every morning when I was first kind of renewed by the Lord, when I my late 20s, early 30s. And I was religious two hours every morning. And if anyone else wasn't doing two hours every morning, there must be something wrong with them. How could you not want to be in the Word every day for two hours? And I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was creating a law in my mind. Now, fortunately for me, I had men speaking into my life. Very, I had men discipling me, pouring their life into me, life into me. So I did not build that as concrete into my life. It started to settle, and boom, someone smashed it and then repainted it with the truth of Jesus Christ. Only as I look to him will that change. God's antidote to self, as I talked about back in May, is brokenness and humiliation. God uses brokenness and humiliation in our lives to, hump, to bring a state of humility, which opens us up to hearing his voice and turning our eyes and our hearts back to him. And you know what? 
The measure of grace that's been granted to each one of us, the measure of revelation that's been granted to each one of us as we are right here today, is God's decision. That's why we cannot judge where another brother or sister is in, the, in this process. We're to be praying for them and encouraging them and edifying them. But we do not bring judgment upon where they are in this process that the Lord has them in. Now, if we're in a relationship with somebody and they violate a negative command of Scripture, then the Lord does call us to an etiquette of, of going to that brother or that sister. That's different from judging their motive and judging them outside of that context. So we are hidden in Christ. Lordship and liberty free us from legalism and libertinism. I believe that as you spend time with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, to the level they've been broken and humiliated, to the level that they have understood their lordship and liberty, these are people that you just can't get enough of. These are the people that are fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ in your life. These are the people that you feel encouraged when you leave a meeting with them. This doesn't mean this person's perfect. This is an authentic, real person that through their brokenness, the Spirit of God works through them. Those are the people, those are the people that can love one another. Those people love easily, abide deeply, and live freely. So quickly, identity in Christ. Everybody seeks security, significance, satisfaction, and success in this world. I've pursued every version there is outside of Christ. None of them have ever failed or succeeded in filling the hole in my heart. Even as a follower of Jesus, I was pursuing these things. When I asked men, I said, guys, if I gave you a billion dollars, I could give you a pill that guaranteed that everyone would like you and that you could have any role you wanted in the world, any position. What, how would it change how you interact with your day? What I was asking is if you were completely secure, you had complete significance, you knew everyone would accept you, you would have a satisfied life, how would you interact and love people differently? We have something so far greater than that in Jesus Christ. This is, let me just read Ephesians 1, 1 Peter 1, and Colossians 1. Here's what he says about our identity. He says, you were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. You were reconciled. You were forgiven. You were called to be born again by a living hope, a resurrection. You have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for us as a church, not just as individuals, but he's reserved this for all of us as a body, as his bride. We have been given an eternal perspective, so we don't have to live for this world, we can live for the next. He's given us trials to prove our faith. He brings those things in our life so we can see and live for the eternal, not the temporal. We are sons, kings, and priests. We died to sin in Christ. Our life is hidden in Christ, therefore we died with him. We also rose with him. Sin has no longer has the ability to lock us in. I'm a new man, and the Spirit of God is indwelling in me, and I can worship because of that. The Holy Spirit indwells and gives us wisdom, conviction, and over 50 other promises of the Spirit. Now it goes on. But I just want to wrap up with a couple illustrations of what I think I've seen as far as the loving one another, what it looks like. A um, couple, about two months ago, three months ago, I got a call from John Gates. Uh, John had was calling me and saying, hey, Chris, I got to talk to you about something. And he basically was coming to me because he heard from somebody that I said something to someone that was hurtful. 
So this is like three or four layers removed. And I said, you know, thanks, John, for calling me. What is he? And so he told me what, what had happened. I explained to him what I thought maybe was the source of it. Anyways, through this conversation, he then connected me with the person that was hurt or indirectly hurt. We had a conversation, and we worked out very quickly, and it was clearly a misunderstanding and some form of you know, gossip that had created the problem. But because in love, John picked up the phone, love was displayed. There was reconciliation for something that I had not even known that I had said or done. And in this case, I actually hadn't even said or done it in the way it was represented. So that was a demonstration of love for John, for me, in the body. He followed the etiquette of the scriptures, therefore we resolved it. I was at uh, a study with a group of men a couple years ago, and one of the brothers was struggling financially. And another brother had come that actually had never met this person before. And after the end of our our time together, uh, it was just the three of us remaining, and one of the brothers broke down and just describing his situation. This other brother said, let's go to the bank. Goes to the bank and gives this guy a sum of money that you cannot even imagine to help him. Because there was a relation between me and this guy through the Holy Spirit and me and this guy through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit made a relationship between these two. And that relationship has continued to grow and become stronger. That is a demonstration of loving one another with your treasure, loving one another with your talents, loving one another with your time, loving one another with the knowledge that you've been given about a situation. On a daily basis, it's much harder than a crisis. A friend of mine died at 35 about 10 years ago. Shook the whole community. There was such an outpouring of love in those couple days after that, which is very, very common whether it's in the body of Christ or outside the body of Christ, you will see this kind of outpouring of emotional support and love. It's, it's even in the non-believers would do the same thing that believers would do many times. It's what happens a month later, six months later, a year later, is where the love of one another comes about. And continuing in the little stuff, when that person now becomes annoying to you, are you still going to love them? Or I've become annoying to them because I'm trying to help too much. Do they love me and tell me? Loving one another in the daily context of life is a heck of a lot more difficult than loving each other when there's a crisis. My mentor said, 5% of life is spiritual high, 5% is spiritual low, 90% of life is mundane. And how you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and how you love your neighbor, you love one another, and the 90%, that's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's a demonstration of someone abiding in the vine. one that I see that's most violated and I would just lay this out to everyone as as a body when we judge a motive of another person it is by far the most damaging to the body of Christ if we have an if we have a situation where someone has hurt us we owe it to them to go to them and describe to them what's happened because many times they didn't intend to it was an accident but if you judge the motive of why they did it and you create, you break the relationship because of that, that's a direct violation 
of the commands of Jesus Christ. Therefore, how can we expect to abide in him when we're ignoring him about loving one another? The New Testament is full of the etiquette. I mean, Paul had to just rebuke the Corinthians over and over again about violating all these basic principles of demonstrating love for one another and deference to one another. He calls the same to us. Never judge a motive. You judge a motive, it's going to create a problem. It's going to break love, and it's not going to be following Jesus Christ, and we're not going to be able to abide in him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he talks about God is building a spiritual house through the spiritual stones that are in this audience. I'm not talking about CCC. I'm talking about the body of Christ that is represented in a place called CCC. And each inside this body, there's little miniature spiritual houses in the communities we live in throughout the city. And the Lord is building us up, and he says that the love is the cement between the stones. Christ is our cornerstone. We are the living stones, building God's spiritual house, and love is the cement that holds it together. If we don't love one another, we're just a bunch of spiritual stones laying out in there in the field. God is not glorified. Jesus Christ is not glorified. He cannot be seen, and therefore we're not being able to abide in him because we're doing it on our own. But love and deference to one another is the key. Now, last thing I want to say is just a warning. As you seek to love one another, you also have to take on the attitude of being prey. P-R-E-Y, not P-R-A-Y. P-R-E-Y. Prey means, uh, prey is, you know, an animal attacks this animal and eats it. You know, it's its prey. Our attitude has to be that of prey, that we're going to go into loving the body of Christ and loving one another with zero expectation of anything in return. How many times have you loved somebody, done an act for them, and they haven't said thank you, and they haven't acknowledged it, and you've been pissed off? Let's face it, it's happened. If it hasn't happened, you're trying to say it isn't, you're probably somebody that's deceiving yourself because you are really angry somewhere deep down, unless you're super spiritual. All right? Please be prepared as you seek to love one another to be used Look at Jesus Christ. He was used unbelievably. Look at Paul. He was used. Look at all the first century Christians. They were used. But they loved it because they have an eternal perspective. They're looking to eternity, not this world. When you look to this world, you will not be willing to be used. Maybe the first time, but not the second or third time. And anger and resentment builds up. But if you love somebody, if you love one another, if we love one another with nothing expectation in return, not judging a motive, it is a fragrant aroma of Christ that everybody wants to have a piece of. That is what draws people to our Lord. That is what draws people to look up. Because it's, it's, it's only if there's a God could that be possible, that I'd be willing to allow myself to be used. Of my time, my talent, my treasure, any wisdom, anything the Lord has given me, entrusted to me as a manager of his stuff, I will only give that away if I have an eternal perspective and not expect anything in return. So those of us who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and all the wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. Whatever you do, 
in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. God created us, the, the, the church, the believers, the bride of Christ. He redeemed us, he reconciled us, and he's entrusted us with much. When I think in the moments, those, I don't know if you guys have seen any of those movies where somebody's daughter or son gets kidnapped or taken, and the father runs, runs across the world seeking to save their child. I mean, as a guy, I love those movies. You know, there's something in me that wants to be able to pursue, to love with such passion. That's a worldly movie trying to describe an intensity and a passion that Jesus Christ displays for his church, for his bride. And actually, most people would go do that for their kid. But actually, am I willing to love my four girls every moment of the day and invest in them all my time, all my talent, all my treasure? Am I willing to pursue people with that same intensity that Jesus Christ pursues me? I cannot do it except in brokenness and humiliation, the Spirit of God living through me. The intensity, and I am just blown away that the Lord pursues me far greater than any of my imagination could be with these movies and these attempts to display the power and the pursuit of God in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've demonstrated through your scriptures these men and women that have loved one another so beautifully. Men and women that realize that everything is yours. All their time, all their talent, all their treasure, all the wisdom, all the gifts are a complete overflow of your Holy Spirit, and they give those things away freely. Father, I pray we'd be men and women that would live in liberty because of the Lordship, because our identity is in you. That we reject legalism and libertinism. We would reject our desire to judge a motive, but we'd remain in this place of gratitude, like Nicodemus and Zacchaeus and Mary as they poured out their wealth, they poured out everything they are and everything they had at your feet. We thank you for the continued ministry of uh, CCC in our lives and the men and women here that have loved us. And I'm so grateful for the men and women here that have loved me and my family. And I'm grateful for eternity for that. Pray for this in the name of our King Jesus.